Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from very smoky Portland. Oh, yes. We're in the smoky Willamette Valley today. Uh, Raymond Camden is also here. Hi, Raymond. Hi, everybody from not smoky, but still extremely hot Louisiana. And our special guest today is Mark Volkman. Welcome, Mark. Hi, I am from St. Charles, Missouri, which is about half an hour west of St. Louis. Hopefully not uh, smoky or anything at this point, right? <laughs> no, no issues now. Oh, good. <laughs> Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Hey, Mark, I'm uh, from Ferguson originally. Oh, wow. A small yeah, world. <laughs> not, not far away. Uh, my my uh, father grew up there. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Mark, just so those listening know who you are a little bit, could you talk about who you are and how you got into programming? Yeah, so I'm Mark Wolfman, and I've been a developer for a really, really long time. I got into programming the summer after I graduated from high school when I used my graduation money to buy a TI-59 programmable calculator and learned how to program my calculator to calculate whether a tennis serve would be in or not, doing a little bit of physics calculations. So that was my introduction to programming. And then I went to college and took my first programming class, and then I was hooked from there. And so I've done all kinds of programming throughout my career. I've worked in Pascal and C and C++ and Java and Ruby and lots of JavaScript. And I've worked in lots of web frameworks, doing a lot of things in jQuery and Angular 1 and lots of React and Angular 2 and beyond. And I've done some work in Vue. And uh, now I focus on Svelte. Yeah, I was in college, finishing up college in the early, early 90s. And I took a programming class. My first class I took my freshman year was actually in basic, believe it or not. And then my senior year I took one and it was in Turbo Pascal because apparently that was supposed to be the next big thing. And that was the last time I ever heard of Turbo Pascal was when I took a class in it. When I went to uh, the, uh, main, the main language was Modula 2, which is like the enterprise Pascal. Wow. You've got me all beat. I primarily do web. <laughs> Back then, there was no web. Well, oh, there I, was DARPA, but that was about it. I'll, I'll flash my C++ credentials for a brief moment and say I've, I've done something that isn't web for a moment. But cool. And yeah, so, so those who may have caught this, Mark mentioned that he is primarily focusing on Svelte. And this is a slightly different episode of Views on View today, where rather than talking about View itself or a library or something around it, we're talking about a different framework altogether. And for me as a developer, I'm really excited about this because I started in, in the single page application world, I started with React for a couple of weeks and decided this isn't for me. This is making no sense. What is going on here? And I switched over to View and I, I learned View. I got very comfortable with it. And then I was able to go back to React and say, I understand what's happening here now because I have the context of what was happening in Vue. So I could apply the concepts in Vue to React. And then when I found Svelte, I did the same thing. I looked at Svelte and said, oh, this, this looks kind of like Vue. I was able to take those concepts and then apply it and learn it. 
to the, to the extent that I was able to build an internal tool for my team using Svelte. So I, I like this idea of approaching different frameworks and, and kind of doing this comparison. And I was really excited when, when I saw Mark in our DevChat TV Discord talking about Svelte because I want to bring him on the show and we can talk about it. So thank you for coming, Mark. Sure. How about we start at, oh, and sorry, one, one quick point for those listening. Mark is also the author of Svelte and Saperin Action at Manning.com, Manning Publications. And it looks like that is coming out this month if it's not already out. Is that correct, Mark? It will be for sale on Amazon or be delivered from Amazon really soon in a, in a couple of weeks, but you can get it directly through Manning right now. So sales have started. And, and at the moment, the sales of the eBooks and the print books, the total is almost 800 copies sold so far. So it's doing pretty well. Very nice. So let's, let's dive in. Let's, let's start from a high level and then we'll get into it. So sure. for those listening, Primarily, I'm expecting their view listeners or view users. Sorry, what is Svelte? Yeah, so Svelte uh, differs from other approaches to building web applications in that it is a compiler. It's not a framework or a library, and it has a more compact syntax than most of the other approaches, and so that leaves fewer places for bugs to hide in your code. It has a really strong focus on developer productivity. To go into just a bit more detail on what it means for Svelte to be a compiler. You implement your components in files with a .svelte extension, and so it compiles those to just the JavaScript that is needed to run your app. And so it just includes the library code from Svelte that you actually need to run your app. Hence the name okay. Svelte, right? In terms that it's very small and minimal. Exactly. Uh, yes, the and, bundle and not, sizes it produces are very small. Right. You're not having to load an extra framework or any other files. Right. Yeah, so that was the interesting feature the, is that it doesn't use a virtual DOM. So frameworks like React and Vue, they do use a virtual DOM. And, and uh, I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with that. But just to review that briefly, it means that when there's a change that has to happen in, in your web UI, it generates a new version of the DOM just in memory and compares it to the previously generated one to see what the differences might be. And then it just applies those differences to the actual DOM. So Felt doesn't do that. Instead, the generated code contains conditional logic that is looking at the things that could have changed, the state variables that belong to your component or stores that I'm sure we'll get into later that are a way to share data between components. And it can tell based on changes to those what parts of the DOM might need to change. And then it is generating the DOM manipulation JavaScript code that has to happen to make those changes. And so that means that it doesn't have to take the time to generate a virtual DOM and to compare them. And also means it doesn't have to include code in your app that knows how to generate a virtual DOM or compare them. And so that's a part of why what gets delivered to the browser is smaller because it doesn't need any of that kind of code. So in other words, it's just general, it's, Manipulating the actual DOM as it detects changes. Right. The way that you might write the code if you weren't using a framework. Can you speak to what the experience is like when someone's learning? Because one of the things that made Vue easy for me to pick up is that I didn't have to run a command line program. So like, I did not start with single page applications. I started with just a script tag and, and just playing around. 
because you have to use a compiler, you know, is it easy for someone new to play around? Are there online tools that will do it for you? And does that make sense? It does, yes. So at the Svelte website, there's a link in the upper right-hand corner that says REPL. And you click that, it takes you to an online REPL, and it starts you off with just an app.svelte file. And you can do whatever you want in that file. You're editing it on the left side of the screen, and on the right side, it shows the rendered output. And then you can click a plus on a tab to add more files and define as many components as you want. You can also create .js files for like utility functions that you want to share between your components. And so you could implement an entire app just inside the REPL. That's not as nice as working in a better editor like say VS Code, but it's good for experimenting with things. And then at some point, if you decide, hey, I'd like to work on this locally now using whatever my favorite editor is, you can then download all of that code and then switch to working locally. So you can get started without downloading anything if you would like. And another interesting feature of that REPL is that while you're looking at one of your Svelte components, on the right-hand side, you can click the JS output tab and you can see what that generated code looks like for a specific component. You get an idea of, of how simple that is. That's pretty cool. Thank you. And then when you want to just work locally and you don't want to use the REPL at all, uh, you just run this command npx dget and you point dget at a GitHub repo and it will make a copy of that for you and put it in a directory with a name that you specify. And so there's a particular GitHub repo that's a starter for Svelte projects. It's svelte.js slash template. So you just say npx dget svelte.js slash template and then the name of your app and it creates that directory for you. You go down into that directory, of course, run an npm install, but then you just say npm run dev, and that starts up a local server. And then you just go code in any editor you want. It's watching the files for changes, and then it refreshes the browser anytime you make changes to your app. Hmm, very cool. Since Svelte is a, a, a compiled framework, does, does it take a long time to rebuild every time you make a change in a component? I'm imagining, something like, I'm imagining something like C-sharp, where you have to change uh -huh. something, and then wait five seconds. Yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced it taking more than three seconds. But there is a way that you can make it even faster, and that is if you use a tool like Snowpack. So Snowpack can compile all your dependencies as separate ES modules, and it makes it so that whenever you make changes to your application code, it doesn't actually have to create a whole new bundle and then load that into the browser. There's less work that it has to do after each code change. And in the final appendix of my book, I show how to use Snowpack together with Svelte to, to make the development even faster. Uh, but to be honest, in all of the Svelte applications that I've worked in, I haven't yet felt a need to do that because it's been fast enough so far. That's really good to hear. I might have to try out Snowpack that way. Starting to dig into it, you've mentioned Svelte components. What does a Svelte component look like? I'm, I'm familiar more with the view single file component where we have the, the template tag, the script tag, and the style tag. Right. And all of the components code just goes straight in there. What, what does a Svelte component look like? It's very, very similar to that. Uh, you can have all of those same three sections, except for that you don't surround your HTML with a template tag. You just throw the HTML that you want out there without the template tag. And you can put those three sections in any order you'd like. 
and you can omit any of the sections. And so the simplest felt component you could have would maybe be an H1 tag that says, hello world. And that's the only thing in the file and that's a felt component. So you throw in a script tag if you want to import some other JavaScript code and you want to implement some functions, maybe some callbacks that get invoked when the user clicks a button, things like that. And then you don't have to have any CSS, but if you do, you throw that in a style tag and the styles are automatically scoped to the component. You don't do anything special, it just happens. And then there's an extra bit of syntax you add if what you really want to do is specify global styles. But by default, everything is scoped. So that should make it very comfortable for view developers to try since the syntax is so similar. I was just going to say, if I remember correctly, also the syntax inside of the template as compared to view is a little more generic JavaScript in terms of how you export and declare your variables. It is certainly vanilla JavaScript in the way that you import things from other files. But there's an interesting point about the way Svelte uses the export keyword. Uh, so one thing to remember is that when you're in a .svelte file, even though you can use any JavaScript you want, this is still a Svelte component. And there are a couple of cases where the Svelte compiler treats some things different than vanilla JavaScript. And the export keyword is one of those. Svelte uses that to be the way that you describe props that can be passed into your component. So if I say export let name, that's a prop. And one reason that they could get away with that is that the Svelte component automatically becomes the default export. So they were then able to just use the export keyword to mean something else. And a reason that they did that is they really wanted the syntax inside the script tag to be valid JavaScript code. They didn't want to introduce special spelt things that wouldn't also be valid JavaScript syntax. On that note, though, of the um, custom syntax, I know um, Rich Harris likes talking about, I, I don't remember what it's officially called in Svelte, but the, uh, the idea of the destiny operator which feels a little bit like a computed property in view, if I remember right. Right. Am I talking about that a bit? Computed property. Yes. So the syntax is that you begin a line of code inside your script tag with dollar colon, and that makes it a reactive statement. And uh, when the compiler looks at a reactive statement, it looks at what variables are used in that statement. And then it's watching for changes to the values of those variables. And so the first time your component renders, it runs that statement. But then after that, if any of those variables have a change to their value, it will re-execute that statement. So that's like a computed property uh, in that you might say this component uh, has uh, variables like first name and last name. And then I could say dollar colon full name equals first name plus a space plus the last name. And so then if I change first name or last name, it will recompute the value of full name. And there are a lot of interesting things you can do with that. For example, I could say dollar colon console.log full name. And now anytime it changes, it's going to write the value to the DevTools console because I used a variable there. And when it changes, it re-executes it. And what I'm executing was just a console.log. So it's really handy, and it's really similar to the way you think about spreadsheets, where you drop a formula in a cell of a spreadsheet, and you know that if you're referencing some other cell in your formula, 
if the value of that other cell changes, surely you're going to recompute your formula. And that's exactly what happens with this, these reactive statements. Yeah, that was one of my uh, favorite features from Svelte when I was learning it, especially yeah. because, like, like you said, you can either have a variable or you can have a function that, that fires. Right. So I would, in, in the internal application that we had, I would reset some data if certain form elements were completely erased, for example. Right. So there would be a little function that's watching and doing those kinds of things for me. It was just really nice. Mm -hmm. And I also appreciate that that dollar colon syntax is actually valid JavaScript. It doesn't obviously do the same thing outside of Svelte. But the fact that it is a valid JavaScript operator, I'm assuming a label would be called an operator, is is something that I really appreciated That because it was something that you could copy paste into another environment and it would at least run in the uh, browser, even if it didn't do the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So in that case, it's just a label whose name happens to be a dollar sign. It's interesting that JavaScript allows you to have more than one label in the same source file with the same name, but there's nothing in JavaScript that says that that's not valid. And so that's what Svelte takes advantage of. You can have as many of those as you want in the same component. Another interesting point about that is that uh, you might think that you could run into problems doing that because what if I say dollar colon A equals B plus C, and then I have another one where I say B equals C plus A and C equals B plus A. Uh, now I've got a cycle in my dependencies and surely that's going to break something. Interestingly, Svelte, the compiler, does a topological sort on all of those and it detects that you have a cycle in your dependencies and you'll get an error from the compiler. And so you can't accidentally mess it up. That's pretty so no, re no reloading the browser and suddenly having an infinite loop and memory crash, right? Right, exactly. That's awesome. So what about in the template? In Vue, for example, we've got different directives for VF, VLs, V4, and then you can write custom directives as well. What? How do you, how do you handle loops or if statements or something like that in Svelte. Right. So Svelte has three of those kinds of syntax. And they copied that from, oh, I'm forgetting the name now, but it was from another existing syntax. And so they look like curly brace pound sign if, and then a condition, then a closed curly brace. And then you end it with curly brace slash if curly brace. And you can have else in there and else if. So that's for conditional logic. And then there's each where you can iterate over elements of an array. And then the last one is await, and that's for dealing with promises. And so if I give the await a promise or a call to a function that returns a promise, then I get to specify in the await what should be rendered while I'm waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And then what should I render if it is resolved? And what should I render if it's rejected? And so I can specify three different things I want to render based on the state of the promise. So that's uh, really nice to use in conjunction with, say, invoking a REST service. So from the way you're describing the conditionals and stuff, that actually sounds like fairly standard templating, whether you're looking at Twig and PHP or EJS or, or some of the other, uh, you know, strictly templating languages that are out there. So nothing right. too extravagantly, extremely different, at least with that syntax, it sounds like. Right. And the interesting thing about the way that works in Vue 
And also the way that it works in Angular is then in both of those cases, you're specifying your conditional logic or your iteration on an actual HTML element, which means that the things that you want to render in the conditional or the things you want to render for each iteration, they have to have some parent element that surrounds them because you have to have that in order to specify the conditional or the iteration. And with this approach, since it's not really directly on an element, there's no parent required. In the case of React, you get into uh, creating what they call a fragment just to meet that need of having something that wraps what you want to conditionally render. Yeah, and there's something similar in Vue where you can use a template tag as a VIF. I don't think you can do that for V4. Okay. But there, there is the VIF on a template, which is nice. But yeah, it's the same, it's the same thing that you're describing with React where it's essentially a fragment. It's extra tag that doesn't actually achieve anything. And on the note of the async template that you can use in, in Svelte, in view three, there is a suspense component that's coming in. So there, there'll be something similar there, but I think it is a little more verbose than what Svelte has. Because again, you're having to use templates and you're, in that right. sense, you're using slots. Okay. So another one of my favorite things about having all these different JavaScript frameworks is they're all learning from each other too. Yes. Awesome. So since we've gone through the, the script tag and now the template section, not really a tag there, is there anything special about styles in a Svelte component? I know you mentioned that they're scoped by default. Is there anything else you can do with them besides standard CSS? Can you use SAS or post-CSS or something like that inside of them? You can do that. To do it, you have to configure use of a preprocessor, and it's pretty easy to do that. And so there's a section in my book where I go over how to, how to configure preprocessors. I've been a, a SAS user for a long time, and I really like using nested rules. But it turns out that when I'm working in Svelte, I don't miss not having that. And I think the reason is that when I'm working in React, it's on me to make sure that my styles don't conflict with the styles in other components. And I generally do that by having a class on, my, on the topmost element in the component that I'm rendering. And then all of the styles for the component are nested in a rule that matches that class. And so that's my mechanism to avoid collisions between my CSS rules. But because Svelte scopes the styles by default, I don't have a need for that. And so I feel less drawn to use SAS when I'm using Svelte. But if I wanted to, it would be very easy to set it up to do that. The only other thing that is special that you do in Svelte styles is that if you want to specify that something is global, you just surround a selector with colon global paren, and then you have the selector and then the close paren. And what that is doing is it's telling it not to scope that part of the selector. And by the way, how it scopes them is that it generates a hash based on all of the CSS in that component. And then it applies a CSS class whose name is that hash to all of the elements that are rendered by that component. And so that's how it is able to scope it because everything has this hashed class name. An interesting thing about that is that if I happen to have two components that contained exactly the same CSS, they would get the same hash, but that's not a problem because their CSS is identical. And so it works for them to use the same CSS, generated CSS. So that colon global syntax is saying, 
don't apply the uh, the generated hash to this part of the selector. Okay, That's, that seems straightforward. And while we're on the topic of pre-processing and potentially other languages, is there a way to use TypeScript in a Svelte component as well? Or is there that is. not something that's uh, available yet? Yeah, so there's been a way to do that for quite a while by configuring a preprocessor. And there were several steps to get it configured properly. And I describe all of that in the book. And then just a few weeks before the book went final, the Svelte team announced that they had added more official support. And it still uses the same preprocessor. It's just that when you create a Svelte project using that npx beget approach that I talked about, it gives you a script that you can run that sets up use of TypeScript in your project. And so you don't have any work to do. You just run the script one time and now you're all set up. So it works great. And they even have a, a VS Code extension that is aware of this Svelte TypeScript support. And so you get all the uh, TypeScript errors directly in VS Code and it works great. That's good. I'm I'm a big fan of TypeScript. I when I was playing with Svelte, I tried to get the TypeScript compiler set up, but I, I did not have success. And at the time, the plugin was not familiar with what TypeScript was supposed to do. So it kept flagging all of my types as errors. Right. Yeah, it's much better now. All right. I'll give it another try. So how about using these components together uh, to build an application? Obviously, you're not going to build it with just a single Svelte file. How do these components work together with things like props or passing data around? Yeah, so there's generally you're going to have an app.svelte file that's the top of your application, and then that's going to import other Svelte components and then just render them with the typical angle bracket syntax, passing props to it the same way that you do in, in other frameworks. Uh, so basically, there are six ways that you can share data uh, between Svelte components. So you mentioned one, which is to pass props from a parent component to a child. Another way is that you can use slots. A lot of frameworks support this. So it's a way that I can render a component and pass it some content that is more HTML or other components. And now that component I'm rendering can take that content and decide if it wants to render it, so it doesn't have to render it, or it could render it multiple times even. And uh, so there's the default slot and there are named slots. So that's another way to pass data from one component to another. Uh, going kind of in the opposite direction, a component can dispatch an event and it can be a DOM event or it can be a custom event, but it only goes from a child component up to its parent and the event can have any data you want associated with it. And it's really easy to use this mechanism. You just import a create event dispatcher function from Svelte, and then you call that to get a dispatch function. And then anywhere in your code, you can say dispatch, and you pass it the name of the event, and then if you want some data that you want to be associated with it. And then up in the parent component, it can listen for that, using the on colon syntax. And so I can say on colon name of the event, and then a function I want to run when that event gets dispatched. So that's the third way to share data is through events. Uh, the fourth way is to use context. And so that's a way that kind of data that's not going to be changing a lot can be defined in some ancestor component. And then descendant components can say, hey, give me the data that's in the context with this name. 
And so that avoids the, the prop drilling problem where I've got component A that renders B, that renders C, that renders D, and D needs some data that's in A, and I don't wanna pass it as a prop from A to B and B to C and C to D. In that case, I can use context and I set it up in A, I give that bit of data a name, and then all the way down in D, I can say, give me the context with that name. So that's the fourth way. The fifth way is to use stores. And this is really a great part of Svelte. A store takes the place of things like Vuex or, or Redux in, in the React world. A store is a really simple pub-sub mechanism where you define the data that you want to be in the store, and then any of your components can import that store and subscribe to it. And then anytime the value of that store changes, uh, they get notified, and uh, then they can use that new data and, and uh, render it themselves. And then when the component goes away, it can unsubscribe. That could get a little messy if you're in charge of subscribing and unsubscribing. And so Svelte has an even better way of using stores where if you just put a dollar sign in front of the name of the store, it will automatically subscribe for you. And if your component gets unmounted, it'll automatically unsubscribe. And so that's generally the way it works is you create a store in some file, you import it everywhere you need it, you refer to it with a dollar sign in front of its name. And then if any component changes the value of the store, all the ones that are using it get the new value and they can update their part of the UI. Uh, so it's such a nice mechanism that I can't imagine anybody creating a state management library for Svelte because you just can't make it any easier than what's already there. And then the sixth way that you can share data between components is a thing called module context. So that's where you create a script tag in your component that says that the context is module. And that gives you a way that you can share data between all the instances of that component. So it's not kind of tree hierarchy sharing between parents and children. Instead, it's sharing between all the instances of that component. So, so that's it. The six ways that felt components can communicate with each other. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clabo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv-style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T, adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. I had never heard of the uh, the module context. How, when, when would you want to use that one as opposed to something from a parent to a child? I, I don't think it comes up very often. I haven't used it a lot. But one kind of contrived example is, what if I wanted to keep track of how many instances of this component I've ever created? I could store that count in the module context, and then every instance could say, hey, I'm instance three of six, because it could know how many there are in total. So that's one example, but anytime there's a piece of data that you would want to be shared between all the instances, that's a way that you could do it. I can see that. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because then you don't have to worry about passing another prop down that 
may not be incredibly useful. Right. You know what I find sort of disappointing that there's only six ways to communicate. I mean, that's just not very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all the bases are covered here. I could go into a little bit more detail on stores. That's actually a, a really interesting topic. There are four kinds of stores you can create. There are writable stores. Uh, so now, now we're up to nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's writable, Ten. readable, derived, and custom stores. So a writable store means that any of the components that are using it, they can set a new value or they can update it. Update is where you're passing it a function that will be given the current value. And then you just return the new value based on that, like you want to compute it based on the current value. A readable store means nobody can change it. And so that seems like it wouldn't be very useful. But in fact, when you define it, you could make it be an active kind of store. For example, it could invoke a REST service once a minute and update its own data. So nobody else can update it, but it can update itself. And anybody who's using it would then get notified if its value changed. Derived means it's based on one or more other stores and it recomputes its value anytime the stores it depends on change, kind of a computed store. Uh, and then the last one, uh, a custom store, is uh, where you, you want a custom API for your store. And a common example, a simple one, is just a counter kind of store. So I could have a writable store that holds a count. But if I do that, any component can just set the count to whatever they want. It could be one, and then it can jump to seven. But if I create a custom store... I could make it so that you can't call set or update on the store. I'll provide an API and I can have methods like increment and decrement and reset. And you, anybody can call those and it will change the value. And now I'm in control of the ways in which the value can change because I'm controlling the API to the store. So the custom store sounds a lot more like what Vuex tries to do, where you have the state and then you have the methods to manipulate the state that are exposed to the application. Does that sound right? It does sound exactly like that. Okay. You had mentioned slots as one of the ways to pass data from a parent to a child. Is there such a concept in Svelte as scoped slots? Can for, you for example, what you mean by that? Yeah. So in Vue, for example, you have your, your child component, let's say, and there is a slot. And on that slot, you want to pass data back up to the parent that will need to be presented. And I was, I was actually listening to the Enjoy the View podcast where they were describing it. And they, they, instead of calling it scope slots there, they were referring to it as slot props, where the idea is you're passing a prop into the slot so that the parent can then use that data to render its template in that slotted sp space. Yeah. So, I'm is, is there something like that in, in Svelte? I'm 95% sure that the answer is yes. And it's a special attribute on slots that is called let. And it's interesting that you would bring that up because if you asked me, did I cover every possible bit of uh, spelt syntax in my book? I would say, yes, I did, except for that. <laughs> and it was a piece that I intentionally left out because I decided that it seemed really complicated compared to everything else I was describing and it probably wouldn't be used very often. 
but maybe I'm wrong based on the fact that you raised a question about exactly that. But I think the answer is yes, and it has to do with this let attribute on slots. Okay, I'll have to look that up. And I, I personally have only ever written one scoped slot ever, I, but I use them a lot in frameworks like Vuetify or something like that where you want to manipulate what a custom library or component is presenting. Okay. So do you think it's possible that that's a feature that is more often used in in libraries than it is in application code? I would imagine so, yeah. What about you guys, Raymond and Steve? I haven't used it much myself either. So, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of something that's used more in libraries than in, like, I guess, real code, because there's certainly things that I see come into multiple projects where my first thought is, you know, is this something that I will actually use or somebody building a library would use? Yeah, I can't say I really have much experience, <clears throat> any experience writing libraries, so I don't know if I could give you a, a good comparison. Yeah, the, the best example I can think of of a library using scope slots is either Vuetify, where you can, using their data table as an example, if you just use the component and pass in your data, it will render a table. But if you use a scoped slot on a particular column, then you can change how that looks. So you can either highlight something or you can adjust what's going in. And by using the scoped slot, you know what data is supposed to be present there. So you're not having to figure it out based off of computing on your own. That The component just provides you the data that goes into that space. But yeah, like I said, I, I've only ever used it once in an application. And it was more of a contrived example. So I could present to my team what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to work. We are getting towards the end, but before we do, we definitely need to talk about Sapper. Mark, would you mind explaining what Sapper is and how that fits into the equation? Sure. So Sapper is a framework that builds on top of Svelte and adds a number of features. And pretty much all of these features, you could just add to Svelte yourself. It's just saving you a lot of time and doing a lot of things for you for free. And so one of these is that it adds page routing so that you can map URLs to the page components that should be rendered when you visit that URL. There's not currently a kind of a blessed solution for how to handle routing in a Svelte app. There are many approaches that work just fine, and I describe several of them in my book. But if you use Sapper, it provides that out of the box for you. And it's just based on the directory structure of your app. You have a, a source directory inside that. You have a routes directory. And the files you place there become your routes. And that it determines the URL from those directory names. Another feature is page layouts. So you might have, say, 10 pages in your app, and maybe three of them want a common layout, and the other seven uh, share a layout. So I can define these two page layouts that are used by those 10 components. I automatically get server-side rendering of the first page that I visit in the app. So that makes my first page visit very fast. And then after that, it's able to then download the JavaScript code for the remaining pages so that it can generate those pages in the browser. It does code splitting. So even though Svelte apps produce a really small bundle and there's not a lot that has to be downloaded to the browser, it is still downloading all the JavaScript for your app in one batch. But when you use Sapper, it doesn't work that way. Instead, when you hit the first page, you're just downloading the JavaScript needed for that page. 
And then when you visit other pages, then it downloads their JavaScript code. And you can clearly see this in the dev tools on the network tab. As you visit each page within your Sapper app, you'll see, oh, there was a new JavaScript download and it was really small. And then if you visit that page again, it doesn't need to download it the second time. Uh, then something that builds on that is prefetching. Prefetching means that if the user is hovering over a link to take them to another page, they might click that link. And so I could get a jump start on this. I'll just guess that they're going to click it. And I'll go ahead and download the JavaScript for that page before they click it. And also, if that page is going to need to call some REST services to load some data, I'll go ahead and make those REST calls as well. So by the time they actually click the link, maybe I've already got everything downloaded and the page comes up really fast. So that's a thing you opt into just by putting a special attribute on the link tag and it knows that you want to prefetch that. It does static site generation. So if you wanted to do something like use Sapper to implement a blog or any static site, you just run a command that says, hey, crawl my whole application and generate HTML for all the pages and dump it in this directory. And then I'll just deploy the static version of my site. So that's an optional thing you can do with Sapper. Another one is server routes. So this is a way that you can easily implement node-based REST services in the same project. It uses the same kind of routing structure where you put these files in the source routes directory and the directory structure determines the URL of these REST services that you're implementing. And so it's a way that you can closely associate pages of your app with the services they need and write all the code in JavaScript if you want to. You don't have to take advantage of that to use Sapper. If you want to implement your REST services in Go or Java or whatever, you're free to do that. This is just one option you have. And then the last thing I would mention is that Sapper comes with offline usage already set up for you. It has a pre-configured service worker. And so you can have some parts of your app be usable uh, even when you're offline. So the short version of all that is Sapper is the view equivalent of Next. Or the Sedelt equivalent of Next. That's exactly right. Yeah. Before we uh, leave Svelte behind, I think there was one really important thing that we haven't touched on yet, and that is how does Svelte deal with state within a component? We talked about using stores to share data across components, but within a component in your script tag, if you declare a JavaScript variable and then you make use of that in your HTML, the Svelte compiler sees that that's part of the state of your component. So you don't do anything special. Like in the case of, of React, you might use the use state hook. And in the case of view, uh, you might use the, the data property to tell it what is the state of this component. But in Svelte, a top level variable that's not declared inside some function, if you use it in your HTML, that is part of your state. And then if one of your functions changes the value of that variable, it knows to update your UI. And so that's a bit of reactivity that Svelte just gives you for free. You don't write special code to say, this is my state. And when you want to update it, you don't do it in a special way. You just assign a new value to a variable and that updates your state. So let's go back to one thing that was sort of a blocker for me when I started looking at Svelte is that you know, one of the nice things about Vue is that when it comes to things like routing and state management, and state management doesn't sound like it's as 
you don't need a separate state management because Svelte already handles that for you uh, as is. But like with routing, it sounds more like React where there's a whole bunch of different options out there and you pick the one that works best for you. Whereas with Vue, you know, you've got your Vue router that isn't a part of core, but it is supported by the by the Vue team, by the Vue community, and it's sort of seen as the de facto way to do routing. Are there, when it comes to routing, are there any particular tools that you've seen that have a little more acceptance and usage than others, or is it pretty much the Wild West when it comes to finding a, a, a routing tool, for instance? It seems like it's just a matter of the Svelte community waiting for one of them to rise to the top. And uh, it seems that the one that is moving toward the top right now is called Routify. So it's certainly not the only choice, but it seems to be getting more popular. But before that, a lot of people, maybe me included, would just say, if you want a nice routing solution, then just use Sapper because it's already built in. So that's an option. And then in my book, I talk about three options. One, I call the manual approach where you're just kind of taking care of it yourself and deciding of all the components that could be a top level page component, which one do you want to render now? And I show in the book, it's actually pretty easy to do that, but it has maybe a significant downside in that the URL isn't changing and you can't bookmark a certain page within your app. It's really a single page app. So if you want to move past that, you can always use hash routing and listen for hash change events, just using the the DOM API for doing that. And so I show how to do that in the book as well. Some people, though, don't like the way the URLs look, that they have the hash character in them. So if you don't want to do that, another approach is to use a library called Page, and that's something that you can get on NPM, and it's not specific to to Svelte, but it handles routing in in a pretty simple way. It also has some advanced features, but I show in the book how you can use the Page library. So at the time I was doing all of this writing, uh, Routify hadn't quite taken off yet, so I do mention it in the book, but I guess if you're starting today, maybe you want to take a more serious look at Routify, or or as I said earlier, uh, maybe just jump straight to Sapper where it's already built in. And when I was building the the Svelte tool at work, I was using, I think it was Svelte SPA router, which looks like it's still getting some updates. And it was really nice to use. It felt very much like the view router that you had a config file that you uh, set up your different routes. And I think you could do some guards to do some verification of whether a user was allowed to access that route or not. Yeah, in the book, I list four libraries for doing that. And that one is one that I do list in the book. I just don't show an example of how to use it. Cool. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we missed? Anything you still want to talk about, Mark? I suppose one thing I could throw out as we close up here is the great support that Svelte has for animations. There's a lot that is baked into Svelte. And so, for example, if you wanted to make it so that if a component gets added to a page, it doesn't just appear, but it fades into the page. And then if it's removed, it fades out. It's really easy to do that. You just import the fade transition and you add a transition colon phase to the top element of your component and it's done. There's all kinds of options you can specify about... uh, like the easing function that should be used to control the rate at which the fading is happening. And fade is one of 10 plus different animations that are are built in. And it's really easy to implement your own. All of these are based on CSS. 
And so it's really fast and it's not blocking the main thread uh, when you use these things. And so it really makes it more likely that you're gonna add animation to your application because it's just so easy to do. In the book, I walk through implementing an application that I call travel packing. And so it's for you uh, keeping a checklist of the things that you need to pack when you go on a trip. And so you can put these things into categories like uh, clothing and toiletries and that. And if you want to delete a category, I use a custom animation that makes it look like the category has just gone down a drain. And so it rotates it and it shrinks it at the same time. And so you can imagine it kind of spiraling and going down a drain until it finally disappears. It's amazing how simple it was to implement an animation like that. Just tagging on to CSS transitions, specifying the rate at which I wanted things to happen. And so I think that's a pretty significant feature of Svelte is that so much of that is built in and you just add a, an, a prop or an attribute to an element to apply an animation to it. And then like you said, if you're not using those animations, then it's not something that ends up in your in your bundle at the end of the day because exactly. it's like you're using a compiled framework and it all just disappears if you don't use it exactly that's great all right so awesome thank you very much mark for joining us today and going through all of that with us i really appreciate it yeah this was great hey folks this is charles maxwood and i just launched my book the max coder's guide to finding your dream developer job it's up on amazon we self-published it i would love your support if you want to go check it out you can find it there the max coder's guide to finding your dream developer job have a good one max out at this point we will move on to picks Picks are the part of the show where we share something that we like with the community. It doesn't have to be programming related. Raymond, would you like to go first? I would. Can I share a recipe? Is that okay? <laughs> go for it. Well, I mean, obviously a uh, link that I will put in the notes. It is a iced pumpkin cookie. And so I'm, I'm kind of a new baker. It's something I, I, I've been doing the last couple months. It's a very simple cookie recipe and it is amazing. That is Great. Yeah. Always in favor of seeing recipes. Steve, do you have a pick for us today? Yeah, I'll go with something that's probably a little more personal. As as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's really smoky here in Portland. And that's because of the incredible wildfires we've been dealing with here for the past week and a half as of recording date in mid-September. In Clackamas County alone, which is my county, we've just we had at one point, the entire county was on some sort of evacuation level warnings, whether it's level one, two, and three. In the state of Oregon, we burned in one week more acreage than, than we normally do in an entire fire season. And because of that, it's just been incredibly smoky. I mean, it's just dangerous to go out of your house. It's like smoking cigarettes if you do. So I am a firefighter for local fire, large fire district here as well. And I also uh, do some work with local emergency services foundation called the Clackamas Emergency Services Foundation. And we are a nonprofit that, you know, raises funds. Then we distribute it to local community organizations, departments, whatever, just to, you know, to help people, whether it's through disasters or for scholarships or stuff like that. So anyway, all this to point to a site that I built on Nuxt, believe it or not. And it's cesf.us, and we have a donate button there for PayPal, and you can contribute to wildfire relief. Um, by the time this comes out, this may or may not still be an issue, but the foundation always certainly does appreciate the uh, funds that are given for 
situations like this. And I'll put the URL in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Mark, do you have a pick for us? I do. Sometimes there's a software technology that comes out that seems really cool at first, but then more technologies come out and people forget about that one that was cool. And over time, they feel like that thing's dead, right? But it's still cool. And I have an example like that. And it is the Meteor framework. Scott Talinsky of the Syntax FM podcast talks about Meteor every once in a while. And uh, he had tried to use it in conjunction with Svelte and talked about that. And so I wanted to check it out. And he was right. It is really cool. Uh, So just to throw out some really cool things about Meteor, it sets up use of MongoDB for you. So you don't even have to install it. It has really good integration with Mongo, making it really simple to, to do database updates. It gives you client and server side code out of the box. You can implement these things called Meteor methods, which are like an alternative to REST services, but they operate using WebSockets, which why do we assume all APIs have to be communicated with over HTTP? There's really good reasons to use WebSockets so you can have two-way communication. And Meteor uses that so that you can have updates across all the clients of your app and they kind of communicate in real time. And another really cool feature is user account management. When you're writing a new web app and someone says, hey, we got to have user accounts where people can create an account and add a password, and then we've got to email them to verify that this is a valid email address. We need to let them change their password and require that they log in. That's a lot of work. But all of that is given to you out of the box with Meteor, making it really easy to set up an app, and it even supports OAuth logins. And then the last thing, you could use any popular web framework with this. So if you want to use Vue with Meteor, you can do that, or you could use React, or you could use Svelte. So it's kind of a framework that lets you pick your your web framework and then get all these other benefits along with it. I have an article that I wrote about Meteor that is on my blog, and so we can put a link to my blog in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I will definitely check that out. I was... I keep thinking on and off about Meteor because, I, yeah, I hear Scott talk about it and it uh, seems interesting to use with Svelte. So my pick today is a shameless plug for myself. I started working on a plugin for Nuxt to integrate with the GitHub API. And part of this is, as we have had different guests on talking about how amazing Nuxt is, I've wanted to try rewriting my website in Nuxt. But one of the big things that I did was pull in data from the GitHub API to be statically stored using Gridsum. So I took the plugin that I was using in Gridsum and rewrote it for Nuxt. So my pick is a Nuxt plugin GitHub API. We'll put the link to the GitHub in the show notes. And the reason I'm sharing it is I would like anyone from the community to come and help put this thing together so that it can be as solid as it can be. Would appreciate your feedback. So Mark, where can people reach out to you if they want to continue this conversation and learn more about Svelte with you? You can reach me on Twitter. It's uh, at Mark underscore Volkman. I guess that, that's probably the best way to reach me. Awesome. We will make sure that is in the notes as well. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we will return to our regularly scheduled view, but hope you enjoyed this perspective on a, on a different framework that you may not have used it up until now. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can talk to us at viewsonview on Twitter, or you can talk to us individually. I am at Yagabush on Twitter. My host, Steve, is here at Wonder95. 
And Raymond is at Raymond Camden. Hope you had a good day. See you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.